Welcome to the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast from Nashville, Tennessee. I am your host, John Martin Keith. Celebrities, working class musicians, and people who work behind the scenes in all areas of the music industry will share their stories, encourage you, and give practical advice of ways you can make a living doing what you love in the music industry. This episode is brought to you by Edenbrook Productions. Edenbrook Productions is the company I founded to help musicians grow in their craft. Are you a songwriter, but maybe you've been told your songs aren't quite there yet? Or are your songs ready, but you don't feel stage ready? Or maybe music is your passion, but you feel imprisoned by your day job and you don't know what to do next to make your dream a reality. Well, Edenbrook Productions is here to help. We offer consulting services via phone call, Skype, and FaceTime. And for the You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry podcast listeners, we're offering an introductory one-hour consultation special. Click on the link in the show notes to contact me, and let's get you making a living in the music industry. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Season 3 of You Can Make a Living in the Music Industry. I am so excited to be back, and I'm so excited that you are here and that you are coming along this journey with me and all these guests that are sharing their stories and sharing amazing advice for you guys who are wanting or are actively trying to be in the music industry. Thank you for being a part of this, and I'm excited for what you're going to hear this season. Today, I'm talking with my friend Tony Wood. He is one of the most successful songwriters in music, period. He currently has 34 number one songs across multiple genres and over 900 songs recorded by various artists like Michael W. Smith, Zach Williams, Reba McIntyre, For King and Country, The Oak Ridge Boys, Ricky Skaggs, Scott Rapane, Bill Gaither, and so, so many more. We are discussing how to know if you are ready to approach a publisher about a songwriting deal, writing with other people who are better than you, and the importance of the radio single versus full albums in today's market. Please enjoy this conversation with Tony Wood. All right, guys. Hey, I'm hanging out with my friend Tony Wood in his office. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks, Marty. Thanks for coming over. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm super excited for this because as a songwriter, I love connecting with other songwriters who have been more successful, have had a lot more experience down the road. Because there's always an, it's always an important thing for for anyone, no matter what they're doing, to connect with people that are doing what they do you know, that have, have lived that life longer and have had success and you can learn and grow from, from them, mm-hmm. you know? So, uh, it's a huge honor for me to hang out with you and, and talk with you. So thank yeah. you. Look forward to it. So we are, I'm just looking around your office here and I see lots and lots of, uh, plaques and artists hanging up on your wall and, uh, gold albums and, Probably platinum album, platinum albums. I don't know Dove Awards. I see all kinds of stuff, um, and I love it. And I want to get into that kind of stuff. But let's let's just back up briefly yeah. and tell us who you are, where you're yeah. from, and what got you into this crazy business we call the music industry to begin with. <laughs> well, all right. Um, I was born and raised in a small town in Virginia, Chase City, kind of a um, tobacco farming town. One stoplight. Uh, grew up there all, all my whole life. Um, 
Church was a large part of the social life of that. There was not a lot else going on. A large recreational lake that we hung, hung out at for fun. But other than that, church was kind of the center of most of, of the social life. Um, two things that kind of, I, I think, influenced the music somewhat for me was um, the music I was hearing at church. Just the hymns, things the choir was singing. I love that. And then just top 40 Music coming out of Raleigh, North Carolina, WRAL 101.5 um, in the in the late 70s. Yeah. Just, if, you know, if I was in my room or driving or anywhere, mu- music was on always. Probably, um, golly, probably about the eighth or ninth grade, it, it really kind of caught my attention. Like what, more than it seemed to be grabbing my friends, started... Um, being interested in maybe playing the piano took a couple of years of lessons during high school. Um, not good. Didn't didn't really try to be good. Just try to be good enough to play pop songs that were on the radio at that point. Run mm-hmm. to go to the store, buy the sheet music, and come back and get the people at church to show me how to play it. And you know, so what's an A major seven chord? What's right. a what's a B minor seven? Get them to show me how to do that. And it, and it became fun just kind of hanging out with friends around the piano, singing pop songs. Um, just. St- wrote a couple of crappy love songs you know just the reason any guy sits down at a piano picks up a guitar i wrote those uh foolish enough to actually play them for girls that i was interested in in high school don't have a lot of regrets maybe kind of wish i could take take that back a little bit um um, think occasionally do would they still have cassette copies of those anywhere hiding oh say they don't say they don't um you know, wrote, wrote a handful of bad love songs. Then it's like, okay, what else do I want to write? Wrote about the things that were going on in me spiritually, things that God was teaching me. Uh, wrapped that up in about six songs. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, what else? No one. Yeah. And, and then started just looking around at my friends' lives and started writing about them and conversations we'd have with them, which, you know, that, that's the dangerous part with being around creative people and, and writers is that we really do steal and borrow from everybody else. But, but you do that real respectfully. I would never... I would never take something personally somebody said and put it out in public in a way that was embarrassing or uncomfortable for them. Yeah. You you learn how to hide it enough that they don't even recognize that the song's about them. But deep down inside, you know that at least that's where the idea started from. You got the um, Tony Wood approach or you got the Taylor Swift approach. Of just put it all out there right. and, and, and we can pretty well guess who it's who, who it's, it's about. about yeah. Some, yeah. So this is the Tony Wood approach. Okay. I understand. I would think we're about 180 degrees apart yeah. on that. That's true. <laughs> great, great observation. There. I, I never, I never found I made any of my friends uncomfortable because I'd always say, "Hey, that thing we talked about the other day, I wrote this, and I'd play it for them." And they'd be, "Oh, that, that's great." Okay. And, and we, and you know, um, real grateful for a church that uh, gave an an opportunity to play some of my songs in church in high school and then into college. My home church, uh, First Baptist Church in Chase City, um, kind of. As a part of really the evening service, um, the you know Baptist churches have special music, right? And and I did I never wanted to sing my songs. I always even then I would I would get one of my friends, one of my buddies from youth choir. I'd teach it to them at my house and then let them stand up in church and sing that. Loved that. I mean, I you know I'd play for them and. Um, 
that that really was fulfilling to me at an early age. I didn't have to, I didn't have to get up and be in public and have people looking at me. But still, I loved creating this thing, putting it together, and somebody else communicating it. Yeah, um, you know that really don't you don't realize at the time how foundational something like that is for where you're going to end up. Sure. Because I didn't know any songwriters. I didn't know. I didn't know anybody else that, that had really ever written a song. I just was this thing that nobody ever told me I couldn't do it. And I just started and nobody said stop and nobody got hurt. So I just kind of seemed to keep keep going down that path through high school and, and, and into college. Really to doing it with this acceleration of more and, and, and more. I took a church position um, as choir director, worship leader in college, started writing some songs for them to do. Also wrote a Christmas musical at one time and taught it to everybody in the choir. And, and we just did that, you know, and nobody, <laughs> nobody said stop. So I just, yeah. I, I kept on really, um, getting to the end of college you know, this writing thing is not going away. It's just clearly a part of who I am, what I'm wanting to do, not knowing what to do with that. Where, 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 what do you, where do I go? Where's this going to lead? Right. I had, during that time I had started, uh, there was a thing called, I think it was CCM update, um, was like this monthly newsletter. And, um, they had a, a page in the back of some different companies that were, for um it, oh it was in songwriter magazine it wasn't season songwriter magazine where they would um put some companies that would for that month as a part of the feature uh accept a, a song if you send it in they'd give a critique send it right, back yep. maybe possibly publish it um and and i was always doing that and you know lo and behold i, I got return letters and and some and people writing back about it um never complimentary about the music. Nobody ever affirmed that in me. Um, actually, you know, kind of said the music melodies were very plain, very ordinary. Um, and they weren't much better on the lyric, but, they, but if there was a little bit of affirmation on anything, it was on the, the lyric. And um, it was, and with the, when I got back the second one on that, I knew I, something within me said, this is right. And this is, this is true. And I, and I kind of looked at like, okay, what am I passionate about? I am passionate about communicating the idea. I really, I really am. I, I love the words. I love shaping that. Um, I can functionally write music. And you hope for for music to be to be good or interesting. You'd like it to be a little bit more than functional. Right. Um, so I kind of I, I kind of let that speak into me at that point, and um, I didn't articulate it well at that time. But I remember thinking, I bet there's somebody else in America who gets kind of the opposite letter this week that your music was a little better than your words. You know, and I'm looking on credits on records and going, gosh, most songs are co-written, at least two people, sometimes mm -hmm. three, sometimes, sometimes more. Um, I wasn't finding anybody much to co-write with, just... You're still in Virginia at this point? At, at that point, yeah. and in college, um, just not finding 
you know, finding other music majors and stuff like that, but nobody that, that really wanted to just just write songs. Um, so I thought, well, maybe there, there are other people out there that are passionate about the, the music side of it. Maybe, maybe I can meet them, you know. When I when I moved here, a, a writer said once that you're it's always you're you're always searching for your people. And yep. now I look back and go, that's exactly what I was doing. I was trying to find the people that were as passionate about this thing, like nobody was, in yep. that in that time. Mm-hmm. So what what made you decide to make the the transition from Virginia to Nashville? Was that after college that you just you, Packed up and decided to come out here. I'm just going to take the chance and see what happens. Or it was um, it, it was after after grad school. I went to seminary for three years because um, <laughs> the writing thing was completely unrealistic. I, okay, what do you, just sort of a side thing at this point? Yeah, I didn't know what to, I didn't know what to do with it, but I knew it wasn't going away. Okay. That was I, I, it. Just was I was spending an inordinate amount of time doing this thing that had no end game in sight. I um I also love student ministry too. So that's what that's what I went to um to get my masters in to to I I love teaching the Bible to to teenagers, uh just leading those kinds of ministries. Mm-hmm. Um so that's what I kind of prepared for as as I was wrapping up uh seminary married at that time and this and and again the writing thing just wasn't going away i had this i had this fear of you know i was early 20s at that point of of hitting 50 and having taken a church job somewhere in america and i had a box of unfinished songs and a a box under my bed and i thought if i hit 50 and i don't know I could I could almost get claustrophobic laying in bed at night thinking mm. about that like it was I could physically feel it closing in on me. Um, I could handle it if I was told you're just not good enough. If if I knew how good is good and could get a real assessment of how I stacked up against how good is good, um, and and found out okay I'm I'm not that good. Mm-hmm. Um, I could live with it, but I, but I think because I think I always felt like the shame is in not trying. The right. shame is not in failing. Sure. Good Lord, this <laughs> for any creative failing is a daily thing for everything that you reach. Though for for this really nice thing that happens, there are fourteen things behind that that just did not quite work out the way yeah. you want to, but you learn to live with that. That's just part of the path, part of, part of that journey. But I knew that I had to at least try. Um, and my wife was willing to, um, it was Nashville was this spoken once or twice and then not spoken for a long stretch about. So when we graduate, what if we look at getting a church position out in Nashville and just coming here and learn the lay of the land? And that's what we did. We knew nobody in town, Marty. We didn't we didn't know anybody. Um, so some friends drove us out in a moving van, watched it, watched that 
<laughs> head away, head back lights. east, shut yep. the door, and thought, man, it'd be great if we had somebody to go get coffee with. But it was nothing to be nice if we had jobs, but we didn't have jobs either. So I was starting to try to find a, a, a church position at that time. So we just both did temp work for the for the first stretch getting here. Um, you know, crappy jobs, second ship, yeah. pushing paper on a printing press. Trying to take advantage of the town if if there were ways to. Um, it was the first time, really, because of this area, so many artists were headquartered here. You could, they may be in concert at a church here or a coffee house kind of a thing. Went to the Bluebird Cafe a few times early show because that was it was free. The early show, late show was was a was a cover charge. We couldn't afford that. Um, found out pretty early from the Bluebird Cafe to answer that question of, so how good is good? And I found out how good good was. And I still, I can drive down 21st these days past that strip where the Bluebird Cafe is. And I can physically feel what I felt then once I knew how, how good good was and how far from good I was. Mm-hmm. Um, it, so for people that are listening that are not familiar with the Bluebird Cafe, mm-hmm. that is pretty much the pinnacle of songwriting in Nashville. Mm-hmm. If you want, it's this tiny little building. It's mm-hmm. like in, in a, a strip little, mall. In a strip mall, right? Yep. It's just, you pass it, and if you don't know it, you would never know it's even there. Yep. But people line up, and it sells out every single night, pretty mm-hmm. much. Mm-hmm. And the best songwriters in the world yes. come to play the Bluebird Cafe mm-hmm. And share their songs and just, you know, and this little tiny, I mean, you can get maybe a hundred people in it. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, it's what the whole show Nashville was kind of right. centered around yeah. that. Yeah. So, um, and here acoustic versions of either these great songs you've heard on the radio, hear them stripped down or something new that they wanted to play. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so we went a couple of nights and just, you know, going out in the parking lot just to like I have really made a mistake. I need to. I need to probably pack up. And yet, also, there's just something in the spirit and soul of a writer. If you get beat down and you get back up again, I was standing in that parking lot, walking out of it, and just like you know, a January wind coming down 21st, <laughs> it would hit me, and it would just kind of snap me back to attention. I go, well, I've come this far. Let's let's. Let's hang in there. Let's let's give it a try. You know, crush, pick up, crush, pick up. Just just that thing. But but it, it kind of was the education for me too of getting to hear other writers and going. So I've got to. That's the level. Okay. That at least with that, I had an answer that I didn't have living out of town. Okay. Yeah. Just sure. listening to the radio. Sure. Yeah. That's that's what I got there. Also. Um, there were just songwriting opportunities to learn better. Uh, ASCAP, American Society of Composers and Performers, was offering a, a series of workshops on Tuesday nights um, where they had a host, and one night they had a, a panel of publishers, one night they had a panel of writers, one night they had some A&R guys come in. Um, and they, as part of, I got accepted for that, and as part of that, they they critiqued a song of yours publicly. And so you became a member of ASCAP, of ASCAP before, before this had happened. I did. Correct. Yeah. And yeah. Pretty much in order to 
so that you get could to, get to be a part of that right that, do those things so then you had to conference. submit a song yeah. right and yeah and then on some tuesday night in the, that boardroom with about 30 or 40 people in there they played my piano vocal work tape way too loud for me to be comfortable with <laughs> and, um and then it was a couple of writers and publishers on that night and then they talked to me directly for about 10 minutes about it and sliced and diced that song up and that was the most educational 10 minutes of my songwriting career up to that point um suddenly th- Things that they were saying, I was like, well, of course. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. that. Oh, I did make that mistake. Okay. It's just like suddenly this thing that seemed all right to me, I saw it in completely a different light. And and so grateful for that. You know, I, mean, I was not defensive about that. I was not precious with the song. I was just so grateful for their, for their wisdom and also the kindness in their spirit. And just they weren't attacking me. They were just saying, hey, you know, as a craftsperson, consider this next time and and got to um one night on the, on the last night a couple of the writers said hey after this if we're gonna go down to shoney's when it was still on the oh, yeah. down there at the end <laughs> and just grab some dessert and coffee if anybody wants to come and hang and so you know i went there and just sitting in a sitting in a in a booth just just learning just the stuff that they talked about that was that was so educational for me grateful for that yeah, so you're getting to, so getting to go hang out at Shoney's with the publishers and mm-hmm. the writers. and a couple of writers. Yeah, that are the ones that are basically Niles Borup and right? Dwight Lyles, particularly, just were that they they had a, a place in their heart for new writers and and teaching spirit yeah. and and were just kind of kind of willing to hang. That's the best thing that you could have ever hoped for oh, at that point for yeah. any writer to for for someone further down the road from them mm-hmm. to say, Hey, come hang out with me and let's mm-hmm. just sit and talk, yeah. you know, to build a relationship with them. I mean, that's so, invaluable. So appreciate that. Yeah. That's invaluable for that kind of stuff, you know, especially for new writers coming into town. It's like, that's what we dream, dream of. Yeah. It's for someone like that to say, Hey, come hang out with me. Yeah. Okay. Sure. You know, because that's, that's one of the hardest things when I first moved to town, um, 20 plus years ago, you know, I didn't know anybody. I thankfully I had an internship lined basically lined up for me when I got here that I went to had to go interview for but um, but I got it and I immediately found my group of people that I have known for the past twenty years mm. that are still some of my some of my best friends you know and yeah. we're all still doing music you know in some form or fashion and we're different places in our lives and our careers but you know I know that at any moment I can go back to any of those people. And, and catch up with them or say, hey, I need a favor. Or, hey, what can I do for you or whatever? And they'll all be like, sure, yeah, what can I do? Or, yes, I need this. How can, you know, what, what can we do for each other kind of a thing? So the fact that you've got that from someone, you know, to kind of help jumpstart you and give you some new ideas and a new direction, mm-hmm. you know, it's fantastic. And that's what people that are listening really need to know that they're, to, to be looking for those types of opportunities. And and just to pick their brain and see how they think and what's their opinion about some songs. Let's talk shop. That was the thing is like, I had nobody to talk shop with mm-hmm. and, um, but they would just, yeah, I appreciate uh, that, that. They're just, it was a foundational connections for mm-hmm. me in this town. So once you had that opportunity, what would you say sort of was sort of the turning point that kind of, you notice, okay, from that moment, 
you got sliced and diced one night on your song, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden there there's a shift. Where does that shift happen, and how do you know that's happening? Yeah, for me that that came a few weeks after that conference was over at ASCAP, um, because a significant moment in that. I can't remember if it was Dwight or, or Niles that said, as a part of the panel one night, they said the hardest meeting in Nashville to get with a publisher is not the first meeting. The hardest meeting to get is the second meeting. Mm-hmm. Well, that was just, that was soul crushing to me right there too, because I'm an introvert. I've known that. I've, I've always been, I, you know, I, like I said, I don't want to be a performer. I don't want to be up, up on stage. I'd rather... I'd rather be in a small room like this with one or two other people and just hang. I like, I love people a lot. I just don't, I just don't want big groups of them yeah. like that. So for them to say that, oh, it terrified me. It's like, so you're saying I'm going to have to summon up the courage at some point to initiate with the publisher. And if I blow it that one time, it's going to be harder to get the second meeting. Because I knew the names of the publishers in town. I knew, I, I was a credit reader from a long way back, you know, CCM Magazine, stuff mm-hmm. like that. I knew who was at the various companies around town. And I knew, I need, I need, I need a champion and I need one of these four or five people in this town to believe in me. And, um, and, and, and if, gosh, and if I blow it the first time, that's, that's, awful that that not it terrified me and I, I i spent you know a month or two just thinking about that how do how do i deal with that how do how do i work with that um i knew i would not know if i was ready to approach a publisher how do you know if you're ready to approach a publisher okay is there anybody who can tell me if i'm ready to approach the publisher okay. So that's kind of where the game plan came to be. I had met Tom Long, who put, who was the membership representative at ASCAP, who hosted the co- the conference that that I had gone to. So that was like my first professional ever call up somebody on the phone and ask something. And I was like, Tom's Tony Wood. <clears throat> you, you, we've met, but you certainly won't remember me because I sat in the back of the class and didn't say very much. Um, but I've, I've, you remember Dwight said, Dwight and I said this about the second meeting was harder to get. Um, so at some point I need to approach a publisher. I need to know when I'm ready. Deep breath. Tom, will you be that man for me? Will you tell me when I'm ready? And he's like, well, I don't really know that anybody's ever asked me that. But I'll tell you what, every few months, swing by here, show me the latest things that you've written. and and we'll talk about it. Okay. Okay. Made an appointment, you know, about two months later. And, that, and like I said, I, I had stopped writing complete songs at that point. So I was just writing lyrics. Just here's a lyric typed out on a sheet of paper. Maybe I can get in a room with somebody who goes, oh, this is how that was sing. Because, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd known that that was how uh, Bernie Taupin did it with Elton John. All of those hit songs were lyrics first, which is, if you read some of those lyrics and think, 
how do you write Benny and the Jets just as a lyric on page? And that, that really speaks to the brilliance of Elton John's melodies to make such hooks out of words on, on paper like that. Okay. Um, but I thought, well, maybe I can find somebody out there like that. So I, would, I, so I took the meeting with Tom, go in, lay three pieces of type paper on his desk, stand there, try not to squirm or scratch or anything. Well, These are just lyrics. This, this is, is not, just there's lyric. no melody. Or there's there's no, no melody. You don't have a recording or anything like Nothing. that. Nothing. I hear rhythm and cadence and all of that in my head. I don't hear good melody. Okay. So, you know, Tom reads them and he says, I know some people you need to meet. Get in the car. Wow. Um, you know, this is the first meeting with him. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Um, and I, you know, I've told, I've told, I've told the story before. I said, Tom, I, I got to take him in. And I went in the bathroom. I shut the stall, and I cried like a baby. Mm. I cried so hard, overwhelmed at, overwhelmed and terrified too, because it's like, okay, this is this is that meeting that I knew was eventually down the road <laughs> at at some point. Yeah. At least Tom says maybe I'm ready. It's really more Tom's reputation on it, but right, I yeah. but I don't want to be that loser that he trots around town either. Um, we go to the first meeting, they read it, no thanks. We go to the second meeting, they read them, no thanks. We go to the third meeting, they read the lyrics, no thanks. We go to the fourth meeting. Um, a guy named Michael Purrier, who was a part of Lorenz Creative Services at that at yep. that time, um, small independent on Music Row, forty Music Square East. I'll never forget. It's funny you're looking at the there. Um, there is a picture down at the bottom right there on my wall. That yeah. is the door to, to oh, okay to Lorenz right there. <laughs> that is the door that I walked through that changed my life wow. um, because. Michael is a publisher, but he's also a writer and more of a lyric writer, too. And he didn't say no. He said, well, why don't you start hanging around and let me see if I can get some of my writers to write with you. And Marty, my life changed right there. Mm. You know, not miraculously and not completely in the moment, but there's a pivot in my whole story right there by walking through that door and and what he said to me that day so you know by that point i had a church job here in, in west nashville 50 hours a week with kids writing we had started our family um i writing i basically have thursdays off so I, I start going down there on some Thursdays. And, and somebody had said along the way, you need to drink the publisher's coffee. And I thought, okay, so I'll, I'll show up at 10 o'clock on Thursdays and look like I'm busy doing something and drink a little coffee and hang out. And he started getting a couple of guys, newer writers at that time. And we started writing writing songs and... Uh, about six months of that, and he he called me at church on a Friday and said, "Hey, swing by at the end of the day today, like you know, like five o'clock Friday on my drive home from church." Went by Music Row. Really fortunate, the goodness of God, that I was like twelve minutes from Music Row, riding the church that I got. So fortunate with that. And he um, he called me and he goes, "Hey, let's get married. Here's a deal. Sign it." Um, and so that was my first writing deal april the first 1990 wow. um now what was it that 
do you know what it was that made him make that decision to say, okay, let's do this? Was there a certain song that you had written with the other writers that just kind of connected or was it the culmination of those six months of working together? Like, I, do you know what made I, him? I, th- I think it was, I think it was multiple songs. It was just like, okay, he's consistently ro- turning in songs that are kind of like at this level. Fortunately, some, some wagers that I had made turned out to be true. He put me in rooms with guys that were good melody guys and they would take the things that were on those typed pages and they would sing them out. Now we made changes along the way, Mm -hmm. you know, added syllables, take away syllables to, to make it work. But by and large, they, um, they made them work. And Michael liked some of the songs there. Nothing at that point was recorded or anything. And that actually took probably about another year after that point, year, year and a half before I got like my first song on any record ever. Um, what was your first cut? First cut ever was on um, uh, the Southern Gospel Group Gold City. Oh, yeah. A record called, I think it was called Answer the Call, a song called When We Gather at the Table. Written as like a Steve Green pitch. At that point, when I, uh, late 80s, early 90s in this town, kind of the uh, Sandy Patty, Lauren L. Harris, and Steve Green dominated mm-hmm. the radio at that, at that point, and I thought it was going to be like a Steve Green song. And and ended up getting cut by a Southern Gospel artists, which kind of like my first couple, two or three songs. But there's that place where very church music, it, it's, it works in both worlds very much. And my first couple of cuts were Southern Gospel. I was like, I don't think I was a Southern Gospel songwriter, but some of them landed there. But, but then started fi- getting some cuts and, and radio singles that were more on the AC, adult contemporary, the more pop side. Mm-hmm. Of what it, of um, what was on radio at that point, um, wrote for Michael for seven years. Um, really nice things happened to me during that. Started getting songs on records. Started getting some songs on radios. Started meeting artists. A uh, really significant relationship early on for me was he showed me a, a green cassette one day of this of this college student from Seattle that had sent in him. He goes, and Michael's like, I think I like his melodies a lot. Um, but he, but he needs some help as a songwriter. Here's, here's a new guy, uh, Scott Payne. I think he's coming to town. You want to, oh, yeah. you want to write with him? And so oh, we, we hooked up very early, um, developed a deep friendship, a great collaboration together that guy was just gifted melodically just that thing of everything i don't hear he just pours out of him so easily so we really hunkered down wrote a lot of songs started to get on records together fortunately for me he got a record deal with word during that time and so we got to start writing for him and um between songs on his record and started getting some songs on, on point of grace records at that point that were doing records that were doing well, yeah. um, started opening up broader doors for relationships and co-writes and things like that for me. Scott Crepain's first album, um, wild was, imagination. Yeah. What was the first, the big single off of that? The first big one. Do you remember? Uh, first single ever off that record was a song called, all my days that he that he wrote the second single off of that was called Sometimes He Calms the Storm. Sometimes He Calls Calms the Storm. That song right yeah. there. Did you co-write that one with him? <laughs> uh, that's a that's a, no. I wrote that and he did not. Um, here's 
he, he you wrote was, that one yeah oh my gosh let me just hang on let me just take a moment because <laughs> i love that song now i should i should have already known this about you that you wrote this song but i didn't uh so i'll i'll put my ignorance on tape for the world to know that i did not realize that you'd written that song and i'm the guy who Credit. i'm like you i'm a credits guy yeah. i love reading it. and so at some point in my life whenever i first saw had that album and was reading through it i would have known that mm. Um, but that would have been a long time ago. But that song was so powerful. I love, love, love that song. So thank you, thank you for putting thank that you. out into the world. <laughs> uh, there was a journey on on that one. It was um, I wrote that I wrote that lyric um, while I was still at on, at church here. I was I was teaching the book through the book of Matthew <clears throat> to the kids on on Wednesday night, and I kind of realized like, wait, there there's these two incidents in the book of Matthew where. Uh, the same thing happened, but Jesus responded differently in these two situations when the storm comes up and they're in boats and carried it for a couple of weeks. I wrote the lyrics. It's such a songwriting moment. I'm in Hickory Hollow Mall on a Saturday afternoon shopping with my wife and the song hits. And it's like, okay, I know how to write it. She roots in her purse, gives me like the electric bill. I sit out on the in the middle of the mall and just I basically wrote probably 85% of that lyric on the back of that envelope, <laughs> uh, sent it to a, a buddy I was writing with some at that point. Also Kevin Stokes, um, we wrote the song. Okay. Doubling back to ASCAP at this point, okay. they had, this would have been, uh, 94, 95. I'd probably been a staff writer about four years, begun to meet Scott and I were starting to write, um, they had a thing where they invited 12 writers to come in, play one song each, and there was a table with all the A&R guys in the front, in the front of it. And it was like, and, and I was invited to do that. And it was like, okay, decision time for me. I want them to like my song. <laughs> Therefore, I cannot perform it myself because that's not going to help my cause in any way. Um Scott, will you go as my friend and sing my song for me? And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. So uh, we go in. He sits at the piano. It's a, it's a live performance. Some, some artists, some writers got songs put on hold. I got that song put on hold that day out of that meeting for Susan Ashton. They were doing, I think, probably like her greatest hits record at about that time. Yeah. Um, third or fourth record in, and that was put on hold and held for a, for a, a long time before the record came out. They ended up not cutting it on Susan. Scott had gotten his deal on word. John Mays had been on the had been on the panel that day, and as they're putting the record together, he's like, "Hey, Scott, that that storm song you did at ASCAP that day, man. I I think, I think maybe you ought to record that." And Scott was like, "I, I didn't write that one." Scott wrote everything on his record, mm. on every record, I think, except that one song. And that was kind of like their battle going, going back and forth for a while. And finally, Scott gave in to John Mays on that and, and recorded the song. And it was his first number one as an artist. I was, I was so grateful for yeah. I, his version of it. It, was just, it just felt like the right voice for the right song. Oh, it was. And, um, and the rest of the world thanks you both for it, for doing that. So, uh, cause it, it's such a good song. Um, so when you start working with, with other writers, because you admittedly, you're not, you're not, won't consider yourself a singer or necessarily a melody person. You're a lyric guy. Mm -hmm. But as you've started writing with people at this point and 
and been doing this for a few years. Does that help you become a melody writer? Like, are you starting to hear melodies in your head that you can have confidence in yourself putting those, yeah. the lyric and the melody together, you know, um, without the help of another person? It does. I, my skills have become better at reacting to what's in it. I, I'm not a good initiator of melody, but if we're, if we're sitting in working on a song and you play, I mean, hey, what if you play the four chord there instead of the one chord? Okay. Or, hey, what if the melody goes up to this note or something? So you, you do, it as lo- do it as long as I have been in the room, watched them birth, watch, watch how people get there. You, you do learn some things along the way. Sure. But I still don't just sit down and start a song, lyric and music by myself. But there are pieces of songs. Um, Even today? Yeah, there's, there's songs that... Uh, that have gotten out that I go, I know that was my piece of melody. Okay. As, as we were working and they were singing one thing and I was like, Hey, what if we sang this instead? And that ended up kind of being a big part of a hook that, that made it. So there's songs there, there is that happens, Mm -hmm. but. So you wrote, uh, for that company for seven, seven years. Um, I've asked this with other writers who are signed to publishing companies. I'm just curious to get some different opinions. Mm -hmm. Uh, What makes a writer leave one company that they've been with for years to go to another company? Like what's your experience with that? If you can, if you can give that information. Yeah. There are a lot of, um, there are a lot of factors in all of that. That company had been bought along the way and, and, and personnel changes and, so loyalty is no longer there like it was to some degree, maybe? It, it wasn't exactly the same setup. Okay. It, wasn't the, it wasn't the same group of people. You know, personnel come and, come and go. I am deeply loyal to, to people, to champions a, along the way. But there also just comes a time creatively where you may need to make a change for your own self. You just need... I like to move the furniture around in a room just because, just, just for the sake of change. But I don't, I don't jump from company to company very quickly. Seven sure. years is among the shortest stays that I've ever had. I've, okay. I've ever been somewhere. So, um, yeah, and it was my 30th year as a staff writer. So, you know, wow. I four deals in the midst of that, but most of them were at least seven years. So who all can you, uh, who all have you written for? What, what companies? Have, have companies. You... Uh, first one, like I said, was Lorenz Creative Services, but then they were bought by BMG. Okay. And then I signed to Benson Company, which within about the, the the same amount of time, but within about the first or second year, they they merged in with Brentwood and became Brentwood Benson okay, yeah. Publishing, which yep. is a large company. Um, after that, I, I wrote uh, six, seven years for... Uh, well, it's it's changed names several times. It's really Sony's Christian division. It's essential music now. It's yeah. tied in with Provident. Um, and then six years ago, I went to Word, which was then bought by Curb. So is it Curb <laughs> Word or Word Curb? I've heard it both ways. I don't, yeah, I don't know. It's just... <laughs> It's yeah. some configuration of the two. That feels like about everywhere I go, it ends up getting bought. So the, you, you get that, that there's yeah. just, it, they're company, you sign with a group of people in an organization and you know how it runs and then it changes. I mean, you know, it's not, not good or bad. It's just, sure. it just is what it is. Yeah. When you go from one company to the next, do you find it that it's easier 
like when you went from the first company to the second company and then second to the third, did it, was it an easier uh, transition each time because you've had the more experience and you've got more cuts and people know who you are and you've got some reputation for, and, and you just relax and you, and you learn that life goes on. That yeah. first one was so dramatic for me. I was like, am I making the biggest mistake of my life? Oh, the first time you switched companies? The first, companies. Time, I, first time I went to a new company. It was that, Well, that was a dramatic moment in life for me also because just for reasons, I, I, God has been real gracious in, in my story and that when, when doors were closing, seasons were shutting down, I, ju- I just knew it and it was very clear that you need to make a transition here. And uh, that my seventh year at, at BMG... Lorenz, as as that was wrapping up, was also like my ninth year on church staff. And I had graduated two groups of kids through high school, ton of seniors out the door, not many juniors and sophomores, but a ton of freshmen. It was really time on that front to hunker down and redream that thing. And it was also in the same window when I was starting to have some songs on some records on, on some records that were doing well and some singles and stuff. And I had more writing opportunities than mm-hmm. I could. I mean, f- truly for that seven years, I had written two sessions every Thursday, but then because for a lot of that, Scott and a couple of other guys also had day jobs that they were doing. We wrote a lot at night or I would write a lyric and just send it to him and he'd write it and shoot me back a tape of it. So, you know, we wrote a lot of songs. We just didn't write them all between 10 and five weekdays because we, because we were buying groceries for our families. Um, So as, as the BMGs thing shut down, it was kind of that first window of there was, there were opportunities that are, are, I'm not going to step out and do this full-time as a songwriter um which again is a part of that adventure thing of like coming to town it didn't make a hundred percent sense to do that it did not it did not make financial sense on on paper and yet once again my wife was up for the adventure and didn't hold hold me back in any of that um and but we i mean we gosh we prayed and we sought god and all that it wasn't a Foolish thing, you know. Sometimes faith and foolishness feel real similar. You, mm-hmm. you don't, you don't know, but sometimes he really does call you to make that jump. And we didn't do it casually or or on on a whim. We really did sense his leading in that. Um, so jumped in with with Benson writing full time at that point. I think that that harkens back a little bit to what you're saying earlier when you first moved to Nashville and you're having to get temp jobs to get started. And we don't talk about that much on, on the podcast because you know, the title is you can make a living in the music industry, but in order to get to that point of being able to make a full-time living doing it, you have to work your way up to it. It's not an automatic thing. You come to town and you're just automatically doing it. And you know, you got a good career going for, for most people. So, you know, the fact that you did temp jobs. So for people that don't know what a temp job is, there are companies around Nashville, yeah. around big cities that have, you know, Ron Stodd and different, cause I did it. Yeah. You know, I worked in oh, different temp everybody. jobs and they would call you and say, Hey, we need you to come work for so-and-so for, for the week, you know, and, and you go do it and then you can, you know, it gives you some income. Right. So that while you're working on your music career on the side, yeah. you've got, income to take care of you and your family until those things start to take off, mm. you know, so that you did that. And then you got the the church job. And so you're doing that while you're 
as you get into the music career yeah. and build it up and to, until it gets to a point that you can level one over the other, you know, and, yeah. um, well, it's, I mean, you guys, I, you see, I'm about to laugh with what you're saying, because what happened in that time was, um, as I was about to sign the deal with, with Benson, it was the end of August and we had, we had negotiated the deal and, um, they were like, Oh, we'll have you the final copy in two weeks. And I was like, okay, that's great. So I gave my two weeks notice at church, this is going to all work out really well, dovetail together. Um, quit that. They came back and said, um, hey, we've hit a little bit of a bump in this. It's going to take a little bit to work out some things, but we'll be getting it to you. Well, two weeks go by in September, into October. So no job. No income. Church is gone. Uh, any... Any songwriting royalties were really recouping my previous publishing deal. You know, they'd just been paying me a little bit, but royalties really hadn't started rolling in on, on any of that. And this is after seven years, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so we'll need to talk about that here in a minute. Well, but it, but <laughs> it, just, it just takes a while for money to start getting down the, the pipeline. Yeah. And, and I didn't, you know, my first few years too, it's just a few cuts and it's small cuts and songs that just don't earn very much. Um, and so in this window, I did not sign. I left the church first of September and we, the, and that, you know, they had said, we'll have a paper for you to sign in two weeks. Well, we signed the first of January. Um, so two or three, three or four months gone by months go by. And so I go back to the temp jobs. Yeah. I, there was a, there was a, one of the temp jobs. I mean, you know, you try not to let it be, humiliating and it makes you go god what's up with this god, mm -hmm. what, what's up i think i listened to you i think i followed you there was a new christian bookstore starting and one of the temp agencies sent people there to start putting together the display cases and stocking the shelves and and my there's the there's a day where i'm in there opening the boxes putting records on the shelf that I've got songs on wow. and watching guys from those companies come in to meet with the people there as it's all coming together. And they're like, I knew you was a writer. What are you, what are you, what are you doing, doing this? Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. man, trust God. And you try not to, you know, it's, it's a tough moment, but yeah, but and, you do what you have to. Right. And you know, and, I told you, look, when I was walking in here to your to your place, you know, I used to, and I've talked about this before, that I worked, I delivered pizzas for mm -hmm. six years here in in Brentwood area, and actually, this neighborhood that we're in right now was in my delivery area. Mm -hmm. So I've delivered pizzas all over this, around this place, mm -hmm. where we are right now. And um, there's another guest that has been on the show in the first season, Mark Irwin, songwriter that you great, know him, great writer, you know. Uh, Mark came and got a job where I worked delivering pizzas, mm -hmm. and he had been a hit songwriter. And, uh, you know, he he wrote Here in the Real World with Alan Jackson, his first big single, you know, yeah, for Alan. So. You know, and it's like, wait, so why are you here delivering pizzas when you're a huge songwriter? And, you know, and we've talked about this on the show, so I'm not, I'm not giving away anything that doesn't need to be said. But, um, you know, basically, I think a deal had gone through it had fallen apart or mm -hmm. was in the process of transitioning to another another publisher like you had had done at some point 
Um, and so he just needed some extra yeah. income at the time. Boy. But man, I'm super grateful that he went through that that phase in life because that allowed us to meet and become friends. And we started writing together, hmm. you know, and so that built a relationship with someone that I would have never had, yeah. you know, outside of that opportunity, you know, and then eventually we both got back on our feet yeah. to the point that we didn't have to, you know, to do those side jobs and everybody. we can do music yeah. full time yeah. in what we do. So that's just part of it. So people that are listening need to realize that even though that that's what the, the show is about, you have to work your way up to that, mm-hmm. you know, and you have to be able to still do stuff, you know, while you're building. And even if you career. get to a point, there's no guarantee of sustaining it at that point. You sure. To yeah. Be willing to do what it takes. Yeah. Absolutely. So. Cause my kids wanted food. They just keep wanting to eat groceries and wear clothes. <laughs> it's a weird thing, right? You just gotta say, you gotta just <laughs> again. Yeah. Here we go. So let's, let's go back a little bit and talk about, um, you know, seven plus years and you're having, you know, the money still really hasn't rolled in yet. You know, you're still, you're getting hit, you know, hit singles out on the radio and, but yet your money is just the money that's coming in is recouping your mm-hmm. deal or whatever. So like, what would you tell people to expect? I mean, I know it's a different world that, that we live in now musically than it was back in the early mid nineties. That's, that was pretty much the heyday of music. Of record selling. Right. Right. So, um, so that even if you didn't get the singles, you were still on some records that were selling pretty well. Right. So, but even back then, okay, so that's, <laughs> that's even a bigger point. You're on, you know, you're at the height of record sales ever in music pretty much is in the mid nineties, I guess, you know, and you've got songs, some singles, you got some deep cuts on these different albums, you know, and those were really making a lot of money and it's still taking you seven plus years to really kind of get that rolling. Correct. Yeah. So what, what do you tell people that are wanting to get into this game who want to be songwriters? What do you, what to expect? It's doing it for the love of it that you cannot not do it. I'm going to do this whether they pay me or not. Mm -hmm. Um, The difference now is the single is everything. Um, There is not a cut seven to be had and the and a real difference now at least in the in the christian market is more of the assumption that the artist will be a writer on the song so you will need to find a relationship with an artist kind of as your as your point of introduction maybe somebody new that you find here in town that you really connect with and and grow up with them um that's that's the way that's kind of the really the only open door I see for people now is building a relationship with a new writer with a, a new, new artist with a new artist as yeah. they come in yeah. now and do you find that I mean granted you are are with a publishing company so they're setting up rights for you right so they're, they're you know you get the publisher that's out connecting you with these new artists right. to write with them mm-hmm. what if you don't have a publishing deal and you're a writer and you're like how do I I can't get into a, a publishing company because I don't have a relationship with a writer that, or with yeah. a, with an artist. Yeah, you know. So how do you? It's fun. I grab I grab coffee a number of times of the year with some with new with people who have graduated with songwriting degrees from you know Belmont, Trevecca, Liberty places like that. So I've met a, a number of those, and 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 that's exactly the situation that they're in. And and, and I'm always talking about trying to find 
who's the new talent? Who's coming up with you? I mean, we always aspire to write with who is ahead of us. I knew, I knew who the artist, I would love to hear them sing something someday. And yet look at my story. I happened to come through the door at the same time as Scott and, and three or four other guys right. introduced to this town. And that's kind of the way it, it happened, who you come through the door with, mm-hmm. you find a degree of success with. Mm-hmm. So it's meeting. And, and I, I don't know how you, how you, you find you, you hang out at a lot of writers nights at night. This town is full of people, people playing, not as much Christian events as others, but sometimes um, there, there's some events like that. And just finding on social media, you know, labels are scouring social media all day to find who's new talent rising up. That would be part of how you'd have to connect now. Find somebody else who's as serious about it as you are. And is there a way that what you do can complement what they do? Mm-hmm. What do you think about a person, a writer coming, you know, moves to town, and they're looking for their first deal? They don't know anybody yet. And kind of like you. Mm-hmm. You know, when you first moved, you know, I didn't know really anybody. I, I quickly met my group of people because I had that internship with that indie label. Mm-hmm. And so that afforded me the opportunity to, to get to know people very quickly. But you didn't when you first came to town, you know, you had had your way of doing it. Um, what would you tell people at this point? Again, it's a different world than it was in the mid 80s, I think, when you moved here, right? So it's a different sort of scenario of how the world work, the music world works. Um, but if somebody wants to connect with a publisher, what, what, what would you say at this point? It's either going to take a large song or great song that kind of becomes your calling card for everybody along the way. There's a song or two that steps you to a little higher plateau. It, it, you said earlier, sometimes you call it a storm. That was a significant song for me along the way in that I met other writers through that song because okay. they they came up i i remember the day i'd never met joel Lindsay before he was a writer at benson while i was but i was seeing him his name on some records and really liked what it was and i and i'll never forget the the night he walked up and said hey i'm joel Lindsay. i know you wrote that storm song or really like that and then we just became a great friendship and collaboration for for a lot of years um so there are you you need that calling card kind of a song for you i do it's funny i feel like i see more music track production guys getting their foot in the door Mm -hmm. there's there's just always going to be the need for new new people willing to do demos that's that's the way i watch so many guys get their get their get their foot in willing to do kind of the grunt work and make these songs sound good but then it also gets their work heard and it gets them ultimately gets them a a, a pub deal um it may be a little harder for the lyric based person these days if that's all yeah if that's all your that's your main thing is yeah. is lyrics because yeah. and that's where you're saying they want you to connect with new artists yeah. that are coming up so that they, because back, back in the day when you were uh, kind of starting out or sort of in the middle of, of your career at that point or early parts of your career, um, 
you could do that. That was a normal thing because a lot of the artists didn't write their music, right? right. They were only singers. Right. You know, they were the artists and they sang the songs, but they would have to have <clears throat> songwriters bring songs to them and they would record your songs. Right. And that was the normal way it was done back way back in the day. Yeah, I would say probably half of the Christian music I think community uh, artist at that point they accepted outside songs so you would get two two to three writers together write songs I mean point of grace was massive for people in, in this town for for staff writers to uh, you know they cut 10 songs on a record and I know there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of songs written competing for those 10 slots on a record because mm-hmm. Those records are selling too, and 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 the ministry platform. Everybody everybody believed in what they were doing and what God was doing through them. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, you know, get in the room with God. And go, How can we serve that? Is is there a way we can write something that connects with them and their story and and God use it out there in America somehow? Yeah. So I miss that. There are occasionally opportunities for that these days. It, 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 that still exists some in Southern gospel music. Uh, there's a chance to write songs that can be picked up by a, a, a group or a singer that doesn't write, that doesn't write their own. But mm-hmm. um, I miss that. Yeah. Well, and it's, I don't, it's not just in Christian music. I think most genres are that right. way nowadays. Yeah. You know, you have to have the artist connection as well. Um, so, Again, as we look around the room here, I'm seeing Reba McIntyre, Jason Crabb, Zach Williams, Francesca Battistelli. Who else? Let me look around here. Uh, Johnny Diaz, Seventh Time Down. There's all kinds of stuff. Uh, I mean, you've written lots and lots of songs for lots and lots of artists. Uh, What was it like for you, just to kind of give us a feeling of, Mm -hmm. you know, because Reba was huge already. Right. Yeah. When she did her first gospel record four or five years back. Okay. Yeah. So you, you get your first Reba cut or your first, who was the first like big artist that you got to, to write for that recorded your song that you had, that you had always hoped would maybe record your song. Do you remember? That's a great, that's a great question. <laughs> wow. There's been so many. <laughs> um, I, I have, I am so grateful for every cut, it, um, because anytime anybody chooses your song, golly, I mean, sure. what, what a what a crazy win that that is. Um, I, I'll go with first thing off the top of my head. Um, during during the early '90s was kind of that big that point where. Um, Point of Grace for him, Phillips Craig and Dean came along. All of that, the vocal, the Avalon. It was kind of the kind of a lot of the pop vocal groups yep. thing, and um, and I always loved that. I just loved how church that was, and how pop that was, and how radio that was. Um, uh, did not get songs on early for him <laughs> records because they had kind of their team that they were that they were writing with but things changed and um and got the opportunity to submit a couple of lyrics for mark harris to take a look at along the way and um and he sent back guitar vocals of him singing some of the songs okay. and then um and and ended up when when they changed their deal and went to and, and signed with word instead of benson the walk-on record had some songs on that and their first single and their relaunch kind of through word and that was that was i just i loved what they did and 
That was a fun one. I mean, you said Reba. Good grief. Come on. That's that's an iconic yeah. voice to go. And that's, I wrote those lines. Yeah. You know, that's just, you've written that's, Mike, that's fun. Yeah. And you've written with Michael W. Oh, Scott, gosh. That, okay. Oh, yeah. that guy. That, 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 <laughs> that was sure one. On, and on a Christmas record and a big orchestral thing, a song oh, called wow. Son of God, that, that um, he and David Hamilton had a melody and uh, sent it over and said, Do I want to? Take a run at it, and and oh, we need it. So we they, need it by Thursday. <laughs> so okay, so okay. Let me let's think about this for a second. So, um, so Michael's got and the, the other guy. I've got this David song Hamilton's idea. David Hamilton's producing the record. Okay, and they reach out. They say, mm-hmm. "Hey, let's see if Tony wants to write." Now, have you had you written for, for Michael before at this point? I had not. I had gotten to know David okay. through something. We 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 had David and I had written a. a he had produced a Sandy Patty record okay. and we had written a song for that. And, and David reached out and said, I've got this melody. I'm working on with Michael. Um, <clears throat> we're cutting it. And <laughs> I need a lyric in about 48 hours. Can you, can and, you know, uh, it's funny when you, when you ask that, it's like, what comes back to mind songs yeah. along the way? Cause that's, that's years ago. Okay. That was, I, I wrote the bulk of that at that kitchen table right, right through there on a crazy day when my wife was out of town. We were supposed to leave that Friday on a trip somewhere. And there was an, something weird electrical had happened at this house. Like the microwave blew up and then something else went out. And we thought there was... A, an electrical problem in here. The power company is out on the street working on the lines. Somebody else is in here checking the wiring at different places. And I am trying to get that Christmas lyric written mm. in August at that point, racing the deadline. So that song feels like it was just chaos around mm. it, but, but it made the record. I'm grateful. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> so what do you know, like at what, what point in your career as writers, we're always wanting to get our song out, hoping that an artist will record it, hoping that a major label artist will record it, that people that's already had success, mm-hmm. you know, that people already know it's Reba or it's Michael W or whoever. Yeah. Do you remember at what point in your career, the first time an artist reached out to you like that to say, Hey, we want you to write a song either with us, with me or for me in that same sort of context, was that your first time that someone had reached out to you to do that? Or do you remember the first time that happened? I don't. It, it's somewhere along the way you're writing with, with writers and then occasionally you get artists in the room and then you're back to writers. And then, yeah. I, yeah. I don't, you know, I don't remember the first. Uh, yeah, sure. I'll tell you, okay, here's a first one that was significant and terrifying to me. And, and you're, it, it's not going to mean anything to you. Um, there was a guy, going back to my church growing up, there was a songbook called Sing and Celebrate that our youth choir sang out of, compiled by Ralph Carmichael and Kurt Kaiser. Kurt Kaiser wrote, Pass It On. It only takes a spark to get a fire going. You would know that, but in the, in the, in the 70s and 80s, a million youth groups sang that song. Kurt also wrote, Oh, How He Loves You and Me. Yeah. Oh, big 
yeah. big song from everywhere. My first or second year at Lorenz, Michael Perrier says, hey, there's a guy coming to town from, I mean, he had been vice president of Word in, in Waco, and he's coming down and he wants to write some songs. Like, will, you, will you spend a Thursday with him? And I walked in the room with Kurt Kaiser, who was, <laughs> who was the guy who had written everything I had sung in youth choir okay. three years. I mean, terrifying. Mm. Just, you know, if he had said, I'm Kurt Kaiser and I wrote Pass It, I don't know how he loves you and me, and you're Tony Wood and you've never had a song recorded at this point, I'd go, yep, that pretty well sums it up right there. You're exactly right. And he could not have been kinder and sweeter and more honoring to me. Mm. Oh my gosh. Just what I learned from that, I was like, I want to, I want to be that for people. Sure, just loved that man. Well, I think that's an, that's encouraging to hear because people that want to do this, and we all move to town, and we're all scared to death. Yeah, that we're gonna, you know, we got these people that we want to meet, that we want to connect with, that we want to impress with our our songs, and hope that they like it, you know, um, and we're terrified that they're going to not like us. Yeah, that. Or that they're going to be just rude or uh-huh. whatever. And 95, 98% of the time, <laughs> you know, they're actually really kind yeah. people, right? Yeah. You know, and... I have found that, that the artists I've gotten with are really sincere, genuine, great people. That I love them from a distance on the radio. And then you sit in a room with them and you just love them even more. I'll tell okay, you're funny. You're talking about, it's kind of like getting through the terror, Right. Of, okay, this is that moment. The one that that just pops back to me right now was Wayne Watson. I yeah. was a big Wayne Watson fan. Just as far as a singer-songwriter, what a catalog of great songs. And had the opportunity to 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 get with him one time. And I just sitting here having this conversation, Marty, I feel... <laughs> my terror walking into the room that day because you want to find that way to connect and, yeah. and i and i find just goofy humor is often it's a good it's a good bridge so we're sitting there over coffee just in those first 10 minutes and i don't know why i did it but for some stupid reason you, you remember the old snl skit where chris farley is interviewing paul mccartney and 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 he is he is the most awkward spastic and he goes and then you wrote let it be right and mccartney's just dead panning yes awesome awesome right. and and farley is so <laughs> spastic and all and somehow in the midst of that with wayne i slipped into that character and i just committed and i just went with it and and then you wrote jesus friend of a wounded heart right and he goes yeah, yeah. and i go awesome and <laughs> wayne awesome. laughed and just laughed at that, and it was the beginning of a great yeah. day and a, and a good songwriting session. Breaks right? breaks yeah. the ice. It, yeah, it really did. I, I committed. I could have. I could have died on that hill right there if, if he hadn't. But it turned out to be a good day. Yeah, because that's what you're always scared of. That you're the person that you is like your hero, <laughs> right? You get the opportunity to spend time with this person. Yeah, and then they think I'm a jerk, right? <laughs> yeah, they end up not liking you, or you don't like them, or something happens. You're just like, yeah. man, that's a, such a disappointment. But yeah. Um, but that's, that's fantastic. Um, man, this is so good. What do you, ha- I, they're all your favorites. I, I understand every song is a favorite and every artist is a favorite that they get to do your stuff. Um, for, for any of us, 
do you that being said yeah because all of them have some of your blood in it it's right. dis, it's dishonest if you don't bring you to the table into the session and put a little bit of your blood now you can't bleed out in every song so there are those that are a little bit more yeah that's me are there any artists that stick out to you that have just been like the Wayne Watson thing you know mm-hmm. or what are some of the other artists that have been like this is you know this is it. I love it. This has been some of your favorite favorite cuts that you've been able yeah. to have. Uh, you know what? Any song that has that has had a connection to my family hmm. has been Im- important to me. Uh, Mark Harris and I wrote a thing called "Find Your Wings," and it really was a prayer that we wrote for our over our children. Of course, that's a deeply personal song to me. Um, whenever my wife gets frustrated stuff on the computer stuff she goes man this is the stuff that drives me crazy and I, and I wrote that down at some point and kind of got that on a francesca battistelli record yep, kind I of a kind I of remember a that one goofy fun song but it's like no that's because my wife says that ten thousand times and, and so stuff like that when i hear that and go man that's just those songs mean something else to people out there in nebraska but to me i i hear my family in mm-hmm. that and so they mean that that means a lot to me. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, what's some advice that you would give? Just, um, I don't want to wrap up. I, I just want to sit and keep talking. I could sit and talk with you for hours doing this kind of stuff. But um, what would be some things that you would tell writers, whether they're new writers, whether they're maybe they're, um, you know, they're published writers right now or they're working writers and they're having some success? Again, it's a it's a different world that we live in now. It's all singles based and yeah. as opposed to album based or whatever. Um, but just in the state of the music business currently, and and yet you know we we set that up as that's a that's a frustration, and yet it's never been a level playing field. It's always been something something wrong with the the, the music business, and yet in the midst of that, God's going to do what He's going to do. He's sure. He's going. Songs are going to find ways to people. Yes, is there frustration? Sometimes, oh my gosh, it, it's still. I just you never get used to the rejection. You just you learn to live with it and not be crippled by it, and and and, and you 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 walk on. But but I I still believe as much as I ever did, the right song will find the right heart and God will do with it what he plans to do, whether bring hope and encouragement to somebody or to give them words to worship with in, in a way that, that they haven't. I feel like you've got to know who you know God to be and, and write that. How have you experienced him in your life and in the circles around you? Who have you seen him to be? Write Write what you know. Um, be mindful of the marketplace, but but don't just write something you think other people will sing. Where is that place where you know it's got some of your blood, some some of you? And I, I also um, and, and and work on your theology. Read books, listen to sermons that help you to grow in your faith and sometimes to me that's not the most popular stuff just find books by some dead people um, that go a little bit deeper than current pop stuff Um, and then fill that fill yourself with that and then let that bleed out into your songs that's awesome thank you (laughs) i appreciate that
Thank you, Mark. That's things that I, I need to go back and apply in my own life, you know, as a writer. And we're always learning. Yeah. You know, oh, there's always, I learn from everybody that I'm in the room with. That, that's one of the selfish reasons I do this podcast, because I yeah. get an opportunity to sit with guys like you and learn some things and go either learn something new or be reminded of something that I've forgotten. Yeah. You know, which is why guys like me listen to podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So it's, it's fantastic. What, what would you tell people? Somebody wants to reach out and write with an established writer, whether it's a new writer or, you know, someone who's kind of getting their feet wet in in the whole thing. And there's a writer that they really want to write with. Mm -hmm. Somebody wants to write with Tony Wood. Right. Mm -hmm. And you've been doing this for 30 years. What do you, do you write with new artists? Will you, you know, on their own, do they have to go, if you say, yeah, I'll do that, but you got to go through my publisher to set it up. How does that typically Mm -hmm. work for for you? Most of the stuff that's on my calendar these days, particularly new people, uh, goes through my publisher. If they, if there's a a new writer, a new artist that they think I should get with, I'll, I'll do that easily. I'm, I always, you know, meet people at conferences and, and, um, there's got to be a reason to write. It's got to be that they show me a piece of a song that is so good. I go, oh, I love that. Oh, I know how to finish that. And I know where we can go with that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just that we could we could finish it, but if we don't have a place to go with it, well, I've got 800 of those songs that where I know how to know how to write it. I just don't know what, what to do with it once it's done. But if I can see, I'm open to new relationships all the time because I, I don't know where the next good song is going to be coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I gave somebody permission, if they, you know, just reached out and submit something to me through my website or something, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to work on that because then there's this, you know, concern that they will, find that title somewhere in my catalog and think I took it from them. Right. But if, um, but if I heard somebody's song somewhere, I did that one time. Gosh, I did, I did that with a Phillips Craig and Dean single. I heard a guy playing a song out and, um, I thought that chorus is right. And that verse is absolutely wrong. <laughs> and, uh, told my publisher at the time and, and she was like, yeah, that, that's right. I wonder if he'd let you fix that. And, hmm. Um, approached him and said, "Hey, you've got a you got a great chorus there. Can, would you be open to me stepping into it and fixing that?" And it turned out to be a title cut of Philip Dean record called "Top of My Lungs." Um, so I'm always, you know, open if it's the right thing. So, what if it's a writer that is not wanting to put the song out themselves, mm-hmm. right? It's like I'm the artist and the writer. And I want to write with you. And that's one thing. That's kind of this conversation that we're having there, I think. But if it's a writer that is like you wanting to write for other people, mm-hmm. right? And they're still trying to get opportunities, knowing that you don't together by yourselves, there's not the opportunity necessarily for it to go somewhere other than the your publisher pitching it to an artist. But together, you want to write the other the other person wants to write with you with the hopes that it would bring in a an artist to write right almost G- like a given three- that there aren't that that's not going to happen that much in CCM these days yeah that's just what makes that tougher yeah it's part of it's it it's just not that much to shoot for 
It's a different world we live in. It is. It's yeah. funny. All the songs that you mentioned that are the ones that are coming out, all of those were written in the room with the artist. Yeah, sitting there. So that's that's pretty much the takeaway mm-hmm. of the of the conversation is you got to build a connection and a relationship with artists mm-hmm. and write with them if to, to really have any success. I, I think a that's a pendulum right now. It everything is is a pendulum. It moves in different directions. That may be that may move. I think it's a I think it's a really slow moving pendulum. But there could be another season years from now where it's it's different. Hmm. But it's the moment for sure. sure. That's cool. Well, Tony, thank you. Thank you, Marty. I, I appreciate you, Thanks your time and your, your wisdom and expertise and sharing all this with us. And I uh, hope people will take it and run with it and apply all this to their careers. And so they can look back on this someday and be like, you know what? I listened and Tony Wood gave me this advice on this podcast and I, and I put it into practice and that was it. Well, thank you again for your time. I appreciate it. And you have a wonderful day. <laughs> thank you. All right, guys, thank you for listening to my conversation with Tony Wood today. Thank you. I'm so grateful. Once again, thank you for coming back and continuing this conversation and this journey with me. Uh, the beginning of season three, I thought this was an amazing first episode uh, to start off the season with. So thank you guys for joining me. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this on um, and be sure to let other people know about it. This is how we get the word out is by you guys spreading the word and letting people know to listen to this podcast on the different platforms that you guys are a part of. So thank you again and look forward to our conversation next week. Remember, Edabrook Productions is here to help if you need consulting services via phone call, Skype, Zoom, or FaceTime. Be sure to let us know how we can help you begin to make a living in the music industry.